You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. One of the fixtures in the historic area is our historic taverns. There's a handful of them, and one of them, which we will be pronouncing today as Chunings, but if you see it in the historic area, it will look like it's spelled Chownings. But Chunings Tavern is getting, I don't know whether to call it a makeover or a make under, but it has been reinterpreted with some. Um, new information that allows us to make it more accurate and also incorporate some of our offerings from historic foodways. So this is an exciting update and our guests today are Matt Webster and Amanda Keller, both of us, both of whom have been guests with us before and they're here to talk about how they worked as part of a team um, to re-enliven Tuning's Tavern uh, and bring some new accuracy and some new aspects to it. So both of you, um, thanks for being here today. It's great to be here. Well, where should we start with, with I, I don't want to call it a reimagining, but we're sort of reinterpreting with some new information. Who would have um, been point on the, on the project to, to open the doors again with something that's a little bit more accurate to what we now know about the 18th century? It was very much a team effort, so um, we worked very closely with, um, with the staff at, at Tunings um, on this project and um, trying to bring it, bring it um, uh, really develop an 18th century look in the tavern, which it hasn't had before. Um, a lot of what we were seeing in that tavern was from the colonial revival period and interpretation of the 18th century, uh, but we have a lot more information today. Talk to us about colonial revival. This is a concept we've explored before on this show, but what was the colonial revival in Colonial Williamsburg and how did that influence some of the uh, very first interpretations that we were doing? Yeah, um, so the colonial revival um, is really an interpretation of the 18th century, um, taking information that they saw and putting it into, into buildings. Um, and so it's really kind of the, the beginning of research on, on the period that we interpret. And so um, with that, they, they weren't really armed with all of the information that we have today. So, you know, 1920s, 30s, 40s, we, we now have 70, 80 years of information where they were really at the forefront of this. So it was the initial information and how it was interpreted. Um, and now today we can bring um, you know, all of that the buildup of documentation on what 18th century buildings look mm -hmm. like, um, as well as science. Um, science plays a huge role in what we know about the 18th century today. So um, all of those things kind of um, uh, brought, were brought to bear on this project. So. So this isn't just a makeover, we're actually kind of, we're being able to add some layers of authenticity um, to that structure so that everything you're looking at becomes a historic document. Right, right. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, from you know, paint, the paint colors in the building. So in, in the past, we had um, a lot of wood um, that was exposed, but it had been stained and varnished. Um, something that w you just don't see in the 18th century. I mean, there's certain surfaces you might see it on, but, but definitely not in a building of this type. Um, and, and what we have to tell us that is, is pain analysis. So um, in the colonial revival period, they were scratching down layer by layer through, through paint buildup and then they would match the lowest layer. Well, it doesn't take into consideration what a primer coat was, what the finished coat was originally, what the pigments and oils do over time. So they're getting completely different colors in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and even into the 1980s, where today we take a microscopic sample and look at it, you know, look at it under a microscope and we can tell the pigments and the binders and we can reverse engineer that, that coloring to be what it was in the 18th century. So for instance, if a, 
if an interior is, is blue in the 18th century, I mean, it's going to be a vibrant blue, but if you just see it on a bare piece of wood today, it's green or gray. Because it would have faded. Because it faded and the pigments break down. So we know a lot more today, and that's what's influencing really color throughout the historic area and what we know about tunings, because we have hundreds of paint reports, um, not only from our original buildings here in Williamsburg, but from throughout the Chesapeake region and really the, the you know, 18th, 18th century buildings along the East Coast. So we get this nice mix of building uses um, and, and, and colors that were used in them that we can then compare to what's here in Williamsburg in our reconstructed buildings to get better interpretation. It's so much fun to me because it means that history is not a closed book. We keep learning and we're able to keep applying what we're learning to become even even more true to the past. Amanda, talk to us a little bit about the furnishings. The I don't know if it's fair to call them props, but the, the, the dressing yeah. of the inside of a building because it's your job to make sure that the, the objects and the artifacts um, that you see inside these buildings are as mm -hmm. true as they can be to the season, to the class, to the use, to the local materials available. Tell us a little bit about your work in making sure that the interior of tunings uh, reflected what a tavern or alehouse would have looked like then, according to the best of what we know today. Yeah, yeah, it was a really fun project to get to kind of get my hands on one of the taverns. We typically don't get to furnish the historic taverns. Um, so we, we looked at probate inventories, what typically, you know, what kind of objects would have been found in a tavern. We looked at a lot of print sources, um, 18th century prints, mostly English prints, just to kind of get a, a feel of what types of objects would be found on the walls. Um, we couldn't put a lot of um, props throughout the whole tavern just because we were worried about them move, you know, moving around or getting in the way of the servers. So we really had to focus on what we could put on the wall, secure down, so that people could really kind of get a sense of what a tavern would have looked like. So we really had a good time. We actually um, had special walking sticks made for the walls and hats. Um, we had new prints installed throughout the tavern and both uh, the whole downstairs basically. And then we also um, had different advertisements made so that we could paste them up on the walls um, to kind of kind of create that sense of use in the tavern, what, what they would have done. Um, we had muskets made, we had swords put up uh, on the wall um, above the fireplaces. So it was kind of just kind of fun to get to add a little bit more life to the tavern. I want to go back to something you yeah. said. You said you looked at probate inventories. Yes and prints. So let's talk mm -hmm. briefly about what those things are for folks that might not be familiar okay. with the idea of a probate inventory yeah. because this is a gold mine of objects. Oh, yeah. So tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about a probate inventory and how that played into your work. Yeah, probates are really great. Um, when somebody passes away, typically um, like two or three probate inventors would kind of show up um, from the county and go through each room and list what was in each space. Um, and give it a value, value so they could value the estate. Um, so it's really helpful to be able to look at those documents, figure out um, what was deemed valuable enough to list in each room. And then figuring out a hierarchy of spaces, you can then figure out, okay, w which were the best rooms in the tavern? Um, what kinds of objects were associated with a higher status? Um, so Weatherburn's inventory, it's probably one of my favorite ones to look at just because um, there's a lot of stuff listed, and it really goes very nicely. You can, you know, room by room, you kind of completely understand how it was furnished and and how each room was used. Um, everything from the great room, where you know large parties would have been held, 
you know, to the bull's head room, which was more of a private space. Um, so that one's really helpful. So I tried to kind of look at different um, inventories from the 18th century for taverns and kind of impart what we kind of see generally um, and then put it in tunings. And then you mentioned prints. These, of course, yes. are pictures, drawings, images. Yes. So mm -hmm. somebody might have drawn a picture uh, um, yeah. and, and printed uh, right. images of people in a tavern. And, and yes. so from the, you look really closely at those pictures yes. and you pick out these little details. Exactly. Looking at print sources, um, we looked at wall art specifically. What, what kinds of um, images did they hang in taverns? And I got to work with um, Kate Teakin on um, figuring out exactly what, um, and she's our prince, one of our prints curators, uh, what what would have uh, been on the walls, and we figured out from looking at the the print sources, like a lot of boxing scenes, a lot of male-oriented um, sort of things that they would have enjoyed looking at. So boxing, um, we saw a lot of dog images, a lot of sportsman type of thing, you know, horses, a lot of equestrian uh, prints. So it was really kind of fun, and we got to put some of those things in tunings. When you talk so. about walking sticks yeah. and muskets, why were some of those objects chosen? Well, from looking at the print sources, we did see a lot of um, muskets hanging above fireplaces, and we saw swords, um, just decoratively hung, typically. Okay, so it wasn't like you come in the door and put down your sword yeah. and get a table. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people joke about that, actually. <laughs> they go, well, why are there so many weapons in this tavern? I, and I'm like, well, I guess after the drinking, I guess they could also fight, you know? <laughs> but no, they're typically just mounted to the wall just for, you know, sort of decor. We sometimes see them in the prints um, being covered and protected. So um, making sure it didn't get dusty or, you know, that the, the metal didn't tarnish and things like that or flies didn't land on the metal. So uh, we also see a lot of maps. So we put in a lot of maps as well. So we typically showed a map and then above that the muskets um, hanging. And the blacksmiths did a lot of work for us. Um, they helped us put the muskets together. They helped us make hardware to actually hang these really long, heavy muskets uh, on the wall. And they also made us hardware to hang the swords. So it was really really a team effort with historic trades too. They jumped in a lot. This is a really us. nice aspect to this project is that it, it, you know we're using all of the best historic <laughs> resources we have to make this accurate, but we're also leaning on our own historic trades to right. manufacture some of the items that you see in an authentic 18th century way. So Matt, tell us a little bit of the story about how this came to involve um, so many of our own historic trades uh, helping to, to really to Bring right. history back. <clears throat> well, you know, one of the things that's incredible about Colonial Williamsburg is its historic trades, um, and they produce a lot of things that we simply can't get on the market um, any longer. And so we need we need to you know to be to be accurate to give that feel and give all the details that really create the whole the whole scene. We we lean on them to to help us produce um, produce these objects. And so the new tin shop, um, for instance, made all the sconces that people see in the in the um, tavern today. And so they did that. Um, they've done you know incredible work researching what these would have looked like in the 18th century, reproducing them, um, and then and then our maintenance crews come in, wire and hang everything accurately, um, and and everything right down to even um, the uh, chandeliers now painted green. Um, in, in the tavern, and so that the tinsmiths wanted to know what what some of the coatings. So sometimes you just have bare tin, which is very reflective, and in some instances you actually have the the lanterns or chandeliers actually being painted. And so they engage with our um, our paint analyst in the conservation department to to look at some of the the 18th century and early 19th century. Um, tin work and they came up with the colors and so that's why it's painted green is that that's what we were seeing one of the colors that are very popular for tin work so 
Amanda, in yeah. your research, mm -hmm. what did you learn about the Ale House? And, and was this a rough and tumble kind of bar? Was this a formal kind of men's club? What is yeah. the character of this space? It's much more, I guess, middle of the road. It's not really high end, I wouldn't say. Um, we tried to kind of represent this sort of like the everyman's kind of tavern. Um, and we also did that through archaeology. We also um, brought in our archaeologist, Kelly Ladd Castro, and she was really great. She, um, we, we built this cabinet in the, the center hall right when you walk in the passage, and she um, put some really great artifacts mounted inside the cabinet with some illustrations about what tavern life was like and, and the different types of beverages they would have drank. Um, so you could just see original wine glass fragments, original wine bottles, and things like that. So we tried to kind of show what a tavern in general would have would have, you know, how it would have operated, who would have uh, been there, um, and that kind of thing. So Socially, tell yeah. me who would have been there. Would women have been there? Would African Americans have been there? Yes. Um, I don't think women as much typically frequented taverns. Um, it would be mostly men, um, and definitely African Americans. Slaves definitely worked in taverns. We see that in a lot of different probate inventories, um, Weatherburn's just being one of the, the many. Um, so typically they would be doing the cooking, um, cleaning, um, washing linens and things like that. Lots of taverns would have offered, um, you know, uh, staying overnight and things like that. So definitely a lot of laundry. Um, so like, again, Weatherburns is such a great example because it's kind of right across the street. But, um, you know, we have a laundry there. We have a dairy. We've got, um, you know, a huge operation, a huge kitchen. Um, so we can't show all of that at tunings, but it's good to be able to compare to other taverns in the historic area, different types of activities that would have went on to sure. run it. So Matt, this has been uh, the, one of many projects that you've worked on in the historic area to bring a new layer of authenticity to it. What's stood out to you as special about the Tunings project? Um, when, I, when I look at Tunings now, um, it, it feels like an 18th, tavern, 18th century tavern should feel. Um, and, it, and it's not just, you know, these, these you know, the color changes. It's all these little details that come together um, to really make it flow. There's nothing that when you go in that's jarring that that for for someone who really understands the 18th century and what these buildings look like, there's nothing jarring that's, that sits there and sits there and says, this is wrong. Um, and so, uh, it, it, you know, everything from, um, you know, we, we faked that sheathing boards came down in, our parti in, a, in a partition wall. Um, and so when we did that, we, we took all the varnish off the wood um, we made it look like that all of the, um, the um, studs were hand cut and we even punched holes to make it look like the nails had been pulled. And so it's all these remarkable details right down from what Amanda's done with the different prints and bottles that are in there and walking sticks down to just the nail holes. And so it's all of that that combines to give the visual um, that we want the visitor to see and combines to tell the story. So. At, that's my favorite yeah. part. Let me put the same question to you, yeah. Amanda. What has stood out for this pro about this project for mm. you? I think my favorite um, aspect, besides getting to work with so many different divisions and, and people, um, would be making the walking sticks. We had a really fun time doing that. And I kind of relied a lot on our conservators to help me with that. Um, we have some really nice uh, vol volunteers in our furniture lab, and they made us uh, reproduction walking sticks. They actually had to, um, you know, carve the wood, make it every, you know, make it look exactly like the ones that we have, um, the antique ones in the collection. And uh, we also had the foundry make the heads, you know, the tops of the walking sticks. And then Eric Goldstein, our mechanical arts curator, made all of the the tips for the walking sticks. And then our um, upholstery uh, conservator, Leroy Graves, he made all of the tassels. So it was just a really fun thing to get to work with so many 
people to make literally three walking sticks, but it took a lot of time and effort. Don't I think you that just want to go see this yes. building right now? <laughs> I hope that our Let's listeners go. get a chance to go by, have a beer, and just soak in these surroundings uh, and really enjoy the space and kind of put yourself in the footsteps of somebody grabbing a beer on the way home in 18th century Williamsburg. It really helps you to understand the past in, in, such, a, in such a really relatable way. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're always glad to hear your feedback. Send us an email at podcast.history.org.